I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 142. Here's another Boo Crew Fright Fact. 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre was originally going to be titled Head Cheese. If you enjoy the show, please rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts. It's our favorite thing ever, and we will read your review at the top of the show. It really is so awesome. I figured, like... Nobody was going to do it, and we keep getting more reviews, and it's so cool. They're amazing reviews, too. Yeah. They're yeah, they funny. Are. They're smart. They're awesome. And I'm just like, wow, these people are really cool, and they listen to the show. It really helps us feel even more connected to you, which just means everything to us. It's really fun. So we're going to go to Leo, who's going to start us off with uh, reading some of the reviews that we got in this week. Yeah, we got one from Anissa G., Number one fan, she writes, I've been listening literally since the very beginning, and the content is always amazing. I recommended this podcast to my fellow horror fanatics, and it's by far my favorite podcast. I found so many new movies, get different opinions, outlooks on movies that I love, etc. It's never boring. Always the best guests and the best intros, lol. Can't recommend this podcast enough. Still waiting to be an intern on this show. Love you guys. Keep up the awesome work and sweet screams. And she rates it five stars. Wow. That's amazing. You know what? I remember getting like a message that if we needed an intern, that she would volunteer to be an intern. And I'm still trying to figure out the boo crew intern program we need to get that that set up that's amazing it sounds awesome and right now we can't because of something really stupid called covid but maybe in the future we could have interns that sounds like really cool that people want to help and anisa will definitely be our very first intern if we get to do this yeah yeah and it's a really nice review so thank you so much for taking the time to write that I'm going to read something from Don't Ask 17363. Their review is titled New Listener, Lifelong Horror Fan. I started listening to Boo Crew a few months ago and binged all of their episodes in a short time. Their banter and interviews are amazing. Love every minute of it. Keep it up. Rating five stars. Thank Aww, you, Don't Ask. That's so nice. Yes. So sweet. And it's nice that he said that he likes our banter because sometimes I think who would want to listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, what makes you think Don't Ask is a guy? Or could it be, could be a girl. Could be a girl. Yes. Wait, but now I need to find out. How do I find out? I have, don't ask. <laughs> if you would like to leave a review for us here at the Boo Crew, please do hit up Apple Podcasts and rate and write a review, and we will read it at the top of the next show. On this episode, yeah. we are joined by an immensely talented and charming storyteller who's been in so many projects with the most celebrated creators in cinema. He brought to life one of the most iconic characters 
directors in the horror genre of this generation over the span of eight films in the Saw franchise at time of release. Jigsaw himself, Tobin Bell. He's hanging out with you to talk about his new film, Beelzebuth, currently available on demand, digital, and brand new on DVD and Blu-ray. This film is going to test your limits. It will shock you. It is terrifying. Tobin's performance is just wonderful. The aesthetics of his character is one of the coolest things ever. Hear about the creation of the film in Mexico, the process behind the stunning tattoo work and immaculate production design, the magic of the horror genre and its unique relationship with us, the fans, and so much more. Want to play a game? <laughs> Make your choice now with episode 142. Dude, that was well done. That was really good. This is Tobin Bell, and you're listening to The Boo Crew. The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! Horror Homework. For this edition of Horror Homework, we are joined by our friends Chrissy Fox from the band Knee High Fox and Spider from Power Man 5000. What's up, guys? Yeah. Hello, hello. So back on episode 136, we had How Chrissy. About that COVID? Just kidding. Don't Dick. Okay, back on episode 136, Chrissy was hanging out with us and she was talking about new music with her band underway and a little bit of the uh, cinematic adventures you guys have been partaking in with uh, One Fox Productions and the horror short films you guys have been working on, namely Chrissy's What the Spell that was a part of some festivals. There was Austin After Dark, the International Horror Hotel, IndieX, and it's an official selection of Portland Horror. So any news to report you guys on on that and any updates on any of the other films you guys are working on right now that you could talk about? We just got uh, What the Spell just got accepted into Genre Blast 2020, which is exciting. It's a really cool festival and they have a lot of different types of horror and it's like this big mashup. So I'm really excited to be a part of that. Obviously, unfortunately we can't go to it because of the whole COVID thing, but they are doing as of now a live actual festival. So it's exciting. And um, they're doing it at the Alamo draft house and we are still planning on shooting some stuff coming up and spiders got a bunch of stuff going on too. Yeah. Going to start, try to make some movies uh, next month. We'll see. I mean, we're trying, we're trying to figure out the best way to do it, the safest way, keeping crew and cast as small as possible. So I'm, I've got one plan. Christine has a couple plan, two or three, and we'll see if we can actually pull it off. And then (laughs) in the meantime, there's a new power man record coming out August 28th called the noble rot. And the video's out for a first single called black lipstick. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, Oddly, even though we were not really doing anything, we seem to be doing a lot. So just trying to stay busy and not go crazy. Right behind you, we can see the, we were talking about it <laughs> a little while ago, but there is a life-size uh, dummy uh, with a noose around her neck. I'm yeah. assuming this is for a film. <laughs> yeah, we hope. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah, no, it's for the first uh, installment. Um, I talked about my film, Frank. I'm going to start a film that's like an anthology feature so this is the first of the stories she's actually supposed to be a replica of me it's the only one i'm acting in the rest i'm just directing so um yeah it's it's pretty weird though it's been scaring us all day and my cat is like terrified (laughs) (laughs) she wouldn't go to the bathroom for like eight hours or something (laughs) yeah i was looking up this thing earlier today and I, i started getting like inundated with these ads on facebook 
Have you guys tried these? We should. We got to try it if you haven't already. Virtual escape rooms. I haven't done it yet. I, I wonder if it's cool. Have you seen some of the ads? I've seen some stuff pop up. And obviously, knowing me, people have hit me up and been like, they have virtual escape rooms. But it's just, you know, I'm like skeptical. Yeah, I guess they do them. They do them over Zoom. Really? Yeah. Escape Room LA is doing three of them right now. And you get like an hour to escape. I don't know how it There's a couple up there on Escape LA right now. There's the Curse of the Dark Raven, the Lost Pyramid and Escape from Planet X, which all seem right right up our wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we should do like a whole entire Buku episode of escape rooms. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Virtual escape rooms would we'll just hop yeah, from room yeah. to room. I was reading about one that's an adult only one where you actually control an actor. So there's a live actor and you have to schedule the time. You interact with the actor and get them to do stuff in the story. And I don't know what they do that's very 18 plus, but it's called like Miss Jezebel or something. Oh my oh, god, that's the one we did. Oh, we did that. One. Oh, that was you really did it weird. online. Oh, yeah, no, 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 we did it in real life. It was we really strange. really weird. Like, Where is it? A lot, of, a lot of escape rooms have actors downtown actors that are sort of like ancillary, you know, in the corner. But this was like the whole adventure was just hanging out with this weird chick. Wow. Oh my god! At one point, my favorite so is Spider, our friend Tyler, and me, and that's it, right? Yeah. And so at one point, Tyler had Spider with a leash on and was like, oh, I heard about this one. <laughs> and she was making them dance. And I'm just like sitting back, which was, I don't know how I it was, that was amazing. It was but so it opened weird. up with it. You, you, you go to you go to this dinner party it was hosted by this woman who has like weird sock puppets and stuff. And she wants you to put on these hats. And we're like, we don't want to put the hats on because we want to get lice. Like, you have to put the hats on. We're like, no, we really don't want to put. Like we, and then we begrudgingly like sort of set these hats <laughs> really lightly on our heads. Like, God, please don't. And yeah, and then it was like, uh, yeah, she made us dance and bark like a dog, and <laughs> and then they had these sock puppets having sex behind a wall. It was really weird. Did it have a horror element or was it just, yeah, well, I guess you can't reveal a mystery. terrifying enough for you. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> she's supposed to be like this, like black widow that kills all these husbands and you're supposed to like solve the murder. And like someone went missing and there's like a, a dude in there. It's not like a real dude. It was really weird. Yeah. Yeah. So she killed, we had to fig. we had to sort of, you know, find the evidence that she was the killer. So every time she'd leave the room from the dinner party, we'd have to scramble and find evidence. But she would come back every 30 seconds. It was so And then you have to like act natural and put your hat back on. Oh, and you're- <laughs> but we wow. did it. We actually did it. Yeah, I think we solved the mysteries. So. We did. We should seriously try that. And we don't have to wear that fucking hat. That was the worst part. I was really stressed out. <laughs> That's the hardest part. <laughs> so how this works is we go around the room and around the World Wide Web all the way out to Leo. That uh, He's in beautiful downtown Eagle Rock. <laughs> Usually there's like construction going on wherever he, he like we always dial him up at like one or two in the morning and there's either always someone yeah. hanging out outside where he lives or someone building something. Yeah. Or yeah. werewolves. Werewolves? What? Yeah. What is this new? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's new. What the fuck? What? I was parked up the street the other night and his dog comes up to my dog to my door, right? And it puts his like snout right against the window. And I'm like, oh shit, a dog. And then I realize this fucking dog's like six feet tall. 
What the? <laughs> you think are, about, you think are. about how think about how tall a dog must be to put his face window level. Was yeah, it a coyote. Yeah, it was. It was something, and I'm like, that's not a fucking animal. Like, I I, I didn't get out of the car for ten minutes. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I I was trying to get the thing. Like, it, it scattered away, and I'm like. I don't know what that was, man, but that was huge. That's why Leo doesn't want to be on video. He turned into a <laughs> To get everybody off the hook, we always start this with Leo. So, Leo? No. I think he's done. I don't know. Tell us what you saw, Werewolf. Guys, I, I saw a movie called Metamorphosis. Okay. Have you guys seen it? No. Nope. It's uh, relatively new. I think it's currently uh, a ex- uh, Shutter exclusive. It's from 2019. It's a South Korean film. It's directed by Hong Seon Kim. It runs in about uh, 113 minutes, so it's pretty long. It's almost two hours long. It's got a minimal cast of a family of five and this one extra brother who's like a priest in the movie. But the basic synopsis of the movie is an evil spirit that changes faces infiltrates one family of five and places one brother in danger while the other one tries to save them. It's basically an exorcism film done very uniquely. So uh, the movie uh, has, like I said, seven main, eight main characters in the movie, but in reality, the two that are the uh, outstanding ones are, are the uh, brother who plays a priest. Uh, the actor's name is Sung Wong Bae, who plays the, the priest, who, uh, whose name is Jung Su, and the dad, uh, played by Dong Il Sung, who's Gangu, the husband, and he's also the father of the family. It unfolds very quickly in the first 10 minutes. 10 to 15 minutes, it unfolds with a brutal scene involving a, um, the priest, uh, Jung Su, conducting an exorcism on a young, possessed girl. It quickly sets you up for the type of movie you're about to see. It, it's brutal. That movie, I mean, just by looking at that scene and, you know, looking, watching different things throughout the movie... I noticed that it, it borrowed a little from column A, column B, and column C when it comes to demonic possession movies, but it works very well as an original idea. So I was able to catch things like uh, some influences from the original movie, The Exorcist, and also uh, from the, the movie Amit, the Fox TV show, and also some ideas from like Fright Night, for example. I wouldn't be surprised if like the director said, hey, those are, those are the movies that, you know, totally influenced me to make this because, you know, it, it was there's some stuff in there that like, wow, it just, you know, kind of threw me off for a little. The movie was not afraid to shock you with some well-placed gore or even what could possibly happen to any one of the characters. It has great atmosphere, great elements of horror, and at times it's very creepy and very twisty and compelling. I'm going to watch it one more time because there's a certain character subplot with the char- this character that you're introduced to in, in about 30 minutes into the film that I love to revisit because it was so interesting what you see and what he says. And I just wanted to see if I missed something or how the whole thing like wraps around and just, you know, uh, completes the story. But I, I recommend it. If you're, if you like exorcism films, this is something very unique and different, but at the same time, you'll see some familiar stuff from stuff you have seen here and there. And once again, the South Korean film, it's uh, heavily subtitled. So you gotta be like focused and, you know, definitely watching it. And uh, I recommend it. Good stuff. Wow, you you never pick exorcism movies. This is the first. No. <laughs> Leo's obsessed never. with exorcism I know, I movies. Say, wasn't that like a doc, a doc, an exorcism doc, like when we did our last? Yeah, one? yeah. But the weird thing is, like, the movie's called Metamorphosis, right? Why would it be a possession movie? I don't know because it finds you. <laughs> yeah, it does, right? <laughs> we watched a subtitled movie the other day. It was called Bedazzled with Elizabeth Hurley and Brendan Fraser. <laughs> okay, there were like two scenes How was that, that were subtitled. Yeah, there was, it was, remember? He, <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. movie, kind of. Like, I saw it a really long time ago. Two scenes. That was a horror movie, though. I was asking Lauren, would it be considered a horror movie? Well, it has to do with the devil. Satan is in it. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah, a good movie. Why it was. Subtitle? Well, he makes wishes. He gets seven wishes from Satan. And he keeps wishing that he's like, I want to be handsome and successful. So what was his first wish? They turn him into a Colombian drug lord. <laughs> and, and he finds out he can speak Spanish. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's all subtitled. This is a hilarious movie. Yes. Bedazzled. Go check it out. No, we, uh, Lauren and I saw this film from, let's see, back in, I'm looking for my notes here, 2010. And it stars Emma Bell, Sean Ashmore. Was that Iceman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Canadian. Yes, and, I know him, actually. Uh, really? Wow. Yeah. He's a great actor, and he was good in this as well. It was uh, Kevin Zegers is the other person in it. Three friends go up to a New England. Uh, this is spider territory here. They go up to a New England ski resort only to be abandoned by the staff in a snowstorm stuck in a ski lift. And it's called Frozen. Oh, that's, I remember this Oh, movie. yes, oh, yes. That's, yeah, uh, that's a great was one. It, was it Adam Green? Did yes. Yes. Yeah. Adam yes. Green. I remember hearing about this movie and thinking, wow, I know how to get out of it pretty easy. I mean, it's fucking snow. You jump off the lift. It's going to be fine. <laughs> you figure it'd be easy. But luckily, the film kind of answers a lot of those questions quick enough that you're like, okay, I, I can get down, down with this. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. And there was no Anna or Elsa. So. No, yeah. I, you know what? I've been looking for interviews to see like what happened. Did he try? Did Adam Green try and sue Disney? I don't know. Probably not. Right? I, I mean, because Frozen came after his yeah. Frozen. I don't think you, I think you can have the same title. Yeah, there's like other movie. movies, isn't there? I mean, how many movies are probably called like. Metamorphosis. Like, like blunt force. Yeah. Or like <laughs> yeah. hard impact. You know? <laughs> I always love movies. We always talk about those kind of movies like, you know, force of nature. Like, yeah. How many they, movies are called force yeah. of nature? Yeah. That's true. That's true. I bet it's like probably like as long as the movie's not like another horror movie called yeah, Frozen. Right. Like right? a popular horror movie. Like you couldn't call your movie The Exorcist probably and get away with it. Probably but, not. But you can do like The Exorcism of something. There's a thousand of those. Leo's probably seen every single one of so frozen got a 64 percent on rotten tomatoes that's currently where it sits it made 3.1 million at the box office and it was adam green's most successful film to date and adam is from holliston massachusetts which is like an hour away from haverhill we don't fucking go over to fucking (laughs) (laughs) what what's the difference between so uh, did you ever visit holliston massachusetts Fuck no, dude. There's nothing over there. <laughs> got everything we need. You got the best grinders in town. You want That's a sandwich. No, it's you know the crazy thing about Massachusetts is it's you could you can drive across the whole state in an hour, but you never went anywhere. Like even people who live like I when I moved from Haverhill to Boston, there's all these suburbs that are like two train stops away, but people don't go like. Dude, I don't leave Somerville. You know, I don't go into Boston. There's no nothing in there. Bunch of college students, you know. <laughs> wow. I, I pick my own time, you know. It's like this weird thing, whereas then you come to California and driving three hours is like, yeah, that's fine. It, it, you know, it's a really weird culture there where you don't, like, I don't, yeah, I don't, you know, I lived, grew up 40 minutes from Boston and going to Boston was like, might as well been 
you know, taking a vacation across the country. Wow. You left school and uh, went and didn't tell your parents had gone on the train. Yeah, I would take the train in and not tell my mom. And then she would get really mad at me. So you're like living out there. You wouldn't go to like Salem and Boston. You just kind of stay where you were. Everything was so close. It really, maybe, you know, this absolutely could just be my experience. Maybe everybody else, whatever. (laughs) It's probably just me, (laughs) you know, but yeah, no, but yeah. Like, I don't even know where Holliston is. Probably where the rich people live. Well, it looks like it's like. That's exactly what your mom would say. Yeah, they're they're fancy out there. It looks like Haverhill's to, on a map, it looked like Haverhill was to the north and Holliston was to the south by Worcester. Yeah, no, Haverhill was right on the border of uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire. We'd go over there, you know, there's no tax, so you go out there and buy a TV, you know. One thing that I noticed in in Frozen that, uh, that he put and made sure to put in there was a lot of Newbery Comics like a Newbury Comics billboard and a Newbury Comics t-shirt on one of the dudes. And I remember I lived in, when I lived in Belmont, Massachusetts, I remember Newbury Comics was like fucking rad, man. It was cool. I remember Newbury, it kind of became, uh, it became a chain of, I think no one, no one knows that is if they're listening, but it was a, it started out as one record. It was a record store slash comic book shop. And it was on Newbury Street, hence Newbury Comics, but it was like super punk rock. And uh, it was really cool because I used to go and I would do I'd, in high school, I'd jump on the train and go into Boston and I would go to Newbury Comics. And I remember Amy Mann worked there. Oh, wow. She became famous. She had a, a band called the Young Snakes. And she'd always be like working at the door, like taking your, you know, checking your bag or whatever. And, uh, and you'd go in and you'd buy like, you know, hardcore punk rock 45s and pick up an issue of Spider-Man. And, and then they expanded and became sort of a chain it almost felt more like a hot topic by the, I don't even know if they still exist. I don't, but it was a, it was a really cool spot. Really cool store. I remember when I went to it, it well, yeah, I had that kind of hot topic vibe where you can buy action figures and comic books and a lot of pop culture stuff. And then yeah, tons of music and movies and stuff like that. It was awesome. But yeah, yeah. frozen was fucking rad. It was um, super tense. You'd figure just with like three kids on a chairlift you'd get tired of it but no they they gave them each really cool monologues where you get to get a glimpse of their lives what their lives must be like off the chairlift so it really invested you in the characters and i was surprised at how yeah. into it we both were and it was one of those things where it's like human versus nature in the sense of like uh, you know like jaws or something like that where you're putting yourself in the situation. We talk to each other like, oh, Lauren, so if we were in that situation, what do you think you would do? Oh, I would do this and this, and you know, or I would do this. And it was kind of like, like being in an escape room, actually. I found them. We, we had to stop it because we, we were getting all tired, but we couldn't wait to get back to it the next day to figure out, what oh, shit, I wonder what they're going to do. Are they going to make this move that we think or who knows? So it was, it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of great gore. And Lauren, do you have any facts? Yes. So it was supposedly haunted by, I guess, someone the previous year had committed suicide. And on, I think it was Chair 75. And I guess Adam Green was talking about there was this legend that the slope was haunted where they were filming. And then someone was like, that was my friend that committed suicide on the chairlift. And apparently it's marked with a with a hole, like a bullet hole. They oh, he shot himself on the thing? Allegedly. Yes. Through, yeah, in the chair. That's really random. This is a lie. Right? And they, so they, they filmed that they would, uh, instead of that one, they used, oh yeah, no, they used chair 75 because chair 92 is the haunted chair. Oh, okay. What was the other fact? That uh, there was no CGI. It was just all practical stuff. 
I love that. And then Adam Green filmed all the chairlift stuff himself because it was 50 feet in the air and none of the other crew wanted to go that high and film. But he has a fear of heights, so that was really brave of him. That I completely believe, right? So I want to, which one is the fact? Which I, I think the haunted chair is not the fact. <laughs> it's not a game. It's all true. <laughs> this is all These are all verified facts. facts on Wikipedia. What is it? And what is it? So you're saying the chair... I didn't spend two hours researching this fucking chair. (laughs) I had 10 minutes between getting my kids to bed to look on the phone. And I was like, oh shit, it's haunted. I love haunted shit. I'm going to talk about that. But I have not done extensive research to figure out. She didn't go up with her EVP. No, I haven't yet. It's on my list of shit to do when COVID's over. And that would be at uh, Snow Basin near Ogden, Utah, by the way. That's where we're going. We're going to go see the polygamous and we're going to go find the yeah. <laughs> We talk about that constantly. And then also like now that all of our text messages are going to be about this fucking chairlift for the next like. Do you guys months. ski? I've never skied in my life. <laughs> Neither had Adam Green. He'd never been to a ski lift before in his life until he filmed this movie. Another fun fact. Oh, God. I can keep him coming all night. You no. want to make a, a movie about skiing if you've never skied. Well, that's why none of it actually, there's not much skiing action in this film at all. It's mostly just on the chairlift. Because I do love a good ski scene in a movie. <laughs> do you have a favorite? Hot dog oh, the movie. So many. Uh, the only one I can think of, honestly, is in a James Bond movie. It yeah, might be. I say the same thing. It's a Roger Moore one. Yeah. Is it the one? It's the one with the white car, too. The Lotus Esprit that goes underwater, I think. But wait, it didn't True Lies have skiing? Is it a view to a kill? Is it a view to a kill? I thought With it the was Duran Duran song. Maybe yeah. I thought it was. Uh, no, it wasn't Spy Who Loved Me. It was one. It was like an opening scene, right? Somebody knows. Yeah, I think it was a view to a kill. I'm searching ski James Bond. Ski scenes. Well, Sean Connery might have had a couple. Sk- I have a feeling maybe James. That wasn't the first time James Bond had visited the slopes. My phone just died. Can you look up a view to a kill? You know, you know why there's probably not a lot of ski scenes in movies. Because of like all the haunting. The best and worst James Bond. <laughs> look, it up. look it up, Siri. Look it up. View to a kill. A view to a kill. James Bond. Roger Moore. Yeah, oh, you're, so, right. Yes. Is right. you're right. A view to yeah. a kill. That was Roger Moore, right? Was he your favorite Bond? He's mine. No. He, I mean, he was a Bond I grew up with, you know? But I, I think Sean Connery was always considered the best James Bond. Yeah, I think it was just because I grew up with Roger Moore in that movie, A View to a Kill. You know who? I, uh, I think Spy Who Loved Me was the one with, you know, remember with, with Jaws, the guy with the teeth? Yes. Uh, yeah, he was always great. But when you look back at Roger Moore, like he just seems so wimpy, right? Like he doesn't seem like he'd be able to kick anybody's ass. As He's kind of frail. You know. Daniel Craig, though, he looks like he can kick ass. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He looks a little more... But that's the thing about Roger Moore. He looked like he didn't have to kick ass, right? He just looked like a refined gentleman. I know nothing about these movies. Really? You haven't seen one James Bond movie? Uh, Nope. A View to a Kill. But I have seen. Is that Grace Jones was in A View to a Kill, wasn't it? Yes, Grace. That's right. Grace Jones. (laughs) Yeah. You ever seen Grace Jones? No, but I'm going to talk about my favorite ski scene. You know, if they ever remade, if they ever brought Jaws back in a James Bond movie, Michael Shannon is a dead ringer for Jaws. Who's that? 
Michael Shannon, the actor from uh, Shape out. of Water, Knives Out. Yeah, I can see that. The Runaways movie. The Runaways movie. I'm not good with actor names. Uh, You'd recognize him, but anyway, he'd be a terrific Jaws. So other ski scenes. Wasn't like Trip Lies like one of those ski movies? No, the best one is Bridget Jones, The Edge of... (laughs) Oh, so God. good. I love yes. that. Such a good ski scene. <laughs> you guys, none of this no. is horror at all. No, Just no, none of it. None, none of it. The conversation is pretty horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Speaking, let's go. Let's go back to horror with Spider and Chrissy and their movies or movie. I don't know. If well, you're, are you no. getting on board with the same thing? Well, I, mean? I was going to go with metamorphosis, but. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> So we're going to do the same movie because we saw well, it. Well, yeah, we saw it together. Yeah, that's and what I'll we give do. you some facts. And Spider can give you like the kind of the, the, the storyline. The interesting stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, the cool shit. So we watched this movie that I've been wanting to see for quite a while called Mom and Dad. I texted Lauren about it. It's pretty amazing. So Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair are the mom and dad. Wow, that's and a pair. I know. And so basically there's like this glitch And all the parents just snap and they all just, you don't really know why, but they all want to kill their kids. And a lot of them do. True story. It's a true story. (laughs) About COVID. Um, Documentary. (laughs) And so the director is Brian Taylor. He also wrote it. He did Crank. And so the way they shot this film was like very action packed and very like, it was just had a lot of energy. It was hilarious. And it was also gory and kind of scary. Do you want to kind of tell them the storyline? beyond what i just said well no that's all that's all it is oh okay well in spider sense no (laughs) no i mean it's it's better than you think it's going to be because i remember we saw the trailer for it a long time ago Mm -hmm. and i thought well this looks kind of kooky but it just it kind of felt like oh they're just kind of going on the nick cage's crazy thing and it's probably not going to be good and we watched it finally and it's way better than you think it's going to be because like all the performances are great the kids in the kid actors They're in it awesome. is like a teenage daughter who's like ruthlessly awful to her mom. And yeah, like it, it, it's almost like a parent zombie movie in a sense. Like they just like they just go crazy like zombies and they want to kill their kids. But it really is more about the parents losing their identity through parenthood. And they're just so angry. You know what I mean? And it's such a great thing with Nicolas Cage just talking about how, how we're just mom and dad now. Like we used to be whatever their names were like, we used to be Fred and Jane, but now we're just mom and dad. And, and there's another heartbreaking scene where the mom confesses how much her kids mean to her. And she's telling her teenage daughter, like you're my whole life. And the daughter's like, you're so pathetic. Like get your own life, you know, but that's what the movie's more about to me, you know, as yeah. we all know, as parents, you know, like that's the real thing. Yeah. Like, Whoever wrote that film yeah. was feeling that and and just wanted to Brian ma- Taylor ma- manifest <laughs> this thing into well, but it's brutal. Like literally, this is not giving really anything away because you don't really know who these people are. But the opening scene is this mom's like looking at her baby in the car seat and she like pulls it to a train stop and pulls onto the train tracks and gets out of her car and walks away as the train's coming. Like that's the like, start. Oh, oh my so God. It's, it's brutal. And so it premiered at TIFF in 2017 and it was released in theaters and then everywhere else in 2018. If anyone wanted to know those little facts, but um, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I was also thinking when I was watching, I was thinking about how in another time, as crazy as that movie is, it could have been like 
a really big commercial success. I think so. But I just think like we don't live in that time. You know, it's like if it's not a superhero movie or something, it's not going to be big. Because it kind of had that, you know, when you when you think about like stranger older movies that were like oddly commercially successful, whether maybe not commercially, but just have sort of stood the test of time, whether it's, I don't know, like a Harold and, Harold and Maude or mm-hmm. a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some other ones that would, and it just felt like, wow, this could have been like, if this came out in like, I don't know, the eighties or the seventies could have been a really huge movie because it's just so weird and fun. And, and like I said, it had, it has like that underlying meaning that, it's not just like, oh, the parents want to kill the kids. Like there's a sort of a motivation that makes it all work. You mentioned Crank. So it's, it's like, it sounds like it's like Crank is cut like a music video. So is it that high speed? High energy. Yeah. yeah. Just no, it wasn't like it was, it had a good flow, but it just like the, it had so much energy in the film that the whole time you're just like kind of on the edge of your seat, even in the dialogue scenes where it's just between the husband and the wife. It's just like, you're kind of like, something crazy is going to happen. And it was, there was some really interesting shots and I was really inspired by his take on the whole thing. And it, it was really cool to kind of realize like, Oh, he hasn't written and directed that many things that have been released. He was a newer director. And I was like really excited to discover him. I can't wait for him to do more, <laughs> you know, like that, do more like that. That's really cool. Right. Where'd you guys see it again? It was at Netflix or Amazon? It's or? on Hulu right now, actually. So yeah, if you have Hulu, you can watch it. I know you guys also interviewed the people from the lodge, but I recently watched that too. And by the way, I could not turn that off. I stayed yeah. up half the night watching it. It was I was like blown away by that movie as well. Totally that different. Great. But wow. Yeah, that was a fun. It's movie. my Hulu um, horror movie. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it was so good. So scary. Yeah, no, it was really, really good. Yeah, we've been watching. We've been watching a lot of what's that? Tubi. Tubi. Yep. Yeah. Actually, uh, Frozen. We watch it on Tubi. Yep. Tubi's free. And I, I think you just like watch. You have to watch some ads or whatever every once in a while. But yeah, you can download it on Apple TV. There's a ton of cool shit on there. A ton of horror right now. The Boo Crew will be right it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Back. This is the Boo Crew Podcast. So, Father, why did the body kind of really expel you? In 2010, reports of possessed people increased exponentially, and the Pope himself asked us to look into cases backed up by priests with experience in exorcisms, demonology. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a boo crew.
Crew Autopsy. Hey, Tobin, how you doing? I'm splendid, thank you. Awesome. Man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. So we are called the Boo Crew. We're with the website Bloody Disgusting, and it's myself, my wife Lauren, and we got Leo on the line as well. Oh, good, good. And I'm glad uh, Leo could uh, could join you. Especially since since my birthday's in August and I'm a Leo. Oh, nice. Same with me, actually. <laughs> nice. Okay. Great to meet you, Tobin. Thanks. So have you seen the Beelzebub with you guys? We oh, did. Yes. yes. It was amazing. Yeah, we loved it. Oh, my gosh. Was really? it ever a shocker? Yes. What'd you think of it? The first 10 minutes were so impactful and extreme that you had no ch- no choice but to not turn it off. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. being a parent, I was like, oh my gosh, like why would this person I couldn't do this believe thing? what I was yeah, seeing. It was crazy. Mm, I felt that way too. Yeah, it's funny, you know, having having done uh, all those saw films, you think you you've kind of seen a lot of horrific stuff. But then you take something like that really is not like a thought trap or, uh, and it's even worse in some way, you know, because of, of the circumstances. So I know what you, I know what you mean. It was when I, when I saw those first moments of the film, I was like, Whoa, I get it. I know, I know why you felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was amazing. So here's, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to do a brief introduction and then we're going to get into the, uh, we're going to get into the meat of the matter. Sound good? Okay. Awesome. All right, here we go. Joining the boo crew via the speakeasy studio is an absolute legend, an actor and producer who has been a part of over a hundred film and TV projects. He got his start by playing background and stand in roles while exploring his talents on Broadway. During this time, he ended up working on the movies of Woody Allen, Martin Scorsese, Sidney Pollack, Bob Clark, and more. This started a wonderful trajectory of each adventure in his career being more exciting and influential than the next, filled with variety and challenges that have been just a joy to watch. From Mississippi Burning, the Oscar-winning Goodfellas, two-time Oscar-nominated film The Firm, Wolfgang Peterson's three-time Oscar-nominated In the Line of Fire, Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead, and many, many more. His work in TV has put him in front of the cameras of the best-loved shows of all time. ER, NYPD Blue, Chicago Hope, The X-Files, The Sopranos, Charm, The West Wing, was nominated for an Emmy for his work in Days of Our Lives. There is nothing this guy can't do. What he's accomplished for fans of the horror genre is incredibly special and important for truly iconic characters and experiences are few and far between. We possibly only get to experience just a few of them being created in real time during our lifetime. And our guest did just that when in 2004, an indie film created by Lee Whannell and James Wan came along. It was a cultural event that transcended the genre and entered the zeitgeist, an inventive and intelligent twist on morality, the fleeting moments of time, and the treasure of life itself. It is his portrayal of Jigsaw that gave rise to a horror icon spread across eight films, two video games, and earned him five award nominations and two wins. His latest adventure is one of the most terrifying things you will ever experience. Yes, he has done it again. It's a film directed by Emilio Portez. It's called Beelzebuth, and it celebrates its wide digital release and is now available on Blue Ray and DVD. We are honored to welcome Mr. Tobin Bell. Woo! Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. That was that was a that was pretty uh, a, a lovely intro. It took me for a ride uh, from 
Let's see, 1964 up to the present. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that. I I much appreciated. Well, thank you so much. Now, Beelzebuth really awakens something in the viewer as it deals with an ancient horror that is steeped in real world human history and religion, which instantly attaches us to it. And with that great thing horror does, it also runs parallels alongside things that are happening right now. Tell us about your character, this Vasilio Canetti and his mission. You know, Vasilio Canetti is a uh, former Vatican priest. He tells his bosses what has been uh, what he knows, and they don't listen. He's a very determined, uh, very committed uh, guy who uh, once he uh, he arrives in uh, Mexico determines that he has to align himself with these uh, demonic forces in order to get information from them. And uh, so it's a, a worldwide journey for him that ends in Mexico, which we shot the entire film uh, in Mexico City. I was there for maybe three and a half weeks. And and then... Um, most of the film in Mexico City. And then we were in a little town called Mexicali or Mexicali, which is right across the uh, border from California in Baja and uh, a very rural area. And uh, so we were working in urban streets. We worked at the Charbusco Studios in Mexico City for quite a number of weeks. Uh, uh, A very historic you know, a lot of people, uh, especially uh, in the U.S., uh, they don't realize that the rich history of film that there is in Mexico. And uh, Charabusco Studios, where we were working, goes all the way back to the 1930s. And it, it's a historic stage. And uh, we uh, built, uh, I say we, the crew, uh, the carpenters and the, and, the, and the set designers built uh, all kinds of things that are very difficult to uh, to do effectively, like tunnels where walls have to be moved and various kinds of things like that. So in California you, you, and, and in New York, we think that all the artists are, are local when, you know, I've had the pleasure of working in Bangkok and watching the, the, the Chinese, half the Chinese crew do things and and then the Czech Republic and Prague, the the the, the Czechs are, are incredible uh, artists, uh, filmmakers, and and in this case, uh, Emilio Portes pulled together a crew uh, of craftsmen that was just amazing. And uh, for me, it was a, a revelation to uh, have a chance to work with an entire Mexican. Uh, crew and to, and to watch their amazing craftsmanship. Vasilio is such a striking character. He's, he's almost like a portrait on a church wall come to life. What was the process like of becoming him on screen as far as even just like the, the makeup process, all these incredible tattoos that you're covered in? Mm. Well, those were part of his effort to, that's what I mean by he was committed it was part of his effort to impress these demonic forces that he was on their side. 
And if you look at those tattoos, you'll see upside down crosses and a variety of different things that he did to impress them that he was an ally of theirs so he could get little bits of information from them in terms of where they were in their hunt. How long did the actual process take of putting all that stuff on? That was part of the reason why I did the film was my first phone call with Emilio, the director. He talked most of the time about Basilio's look, and I was very impressed with how important that was to him. He he has an artistic visual sense, and uh, he's um, got painter's sensibilities. He sent his key makeup person from Mexico City to Los Angeles to meet with me and do a prep of what the look was going to be. He sent me sketches that he had made of my face wow. with Vasilio's look they added to my face and then uh, Katrina came all the way from Mexico City to LA and we sat in a studio in North Hollywood and for a couple hours she did a a mock-up of of what we were going to do so that by the time I got to Mexico City most of the uh, prep work had been done and uh, uh, we just had to screen test it and and, uh, so I was I loved the look I was so impressed with his specificity uh, regarding Basilio's look that that it made me want to become that guy. And uh, so, and then of course, you know, I was working with uh, Joaquin Casillo, who's a big star in Mexico, who I had never met, and uh, Jose Safami, and there was a woman who played the mother. Her name is Yuen Pardo, and she's a Mexican and an American citizen. Uh, And Yuen spent uh, five years working at the Goodman in Chicago. Very, very smart, very talented. A a bunch of lovely people. And uh, that makes a huge difference when you're shooting such a dark film. (laughs) Since Mexico is a very religious uh, Catholic country, were special precautions taken by the production or filmmakers with the religious iconography used in the film, or perhaps... Any special blessings to protect the cast and crew? Uh, to, to, uh, I love that. Well, that's a two-part question. If there was a special blessing, I didn't notice it. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't part of the ceremony, so I, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm still here. Um, <laughs> and, and the first part is, yes, you know, the, the mixture of, of traditional Roman Catholicism and the ancient tenets of, of demonology. And, and for those who, who don't know what I mean by demonology, usually demonology involves possession of the innocence. In other words, half the time that the person you're looking at in front of you is not the person that you're seeing at all, but an occupied spirit. And so much of Mexican history and culture goes back to uh, the Aztecs and uh, and the Mayans and ancient religious beliefs that involve these sort of very strong spirits. So there's a real integration of of more modern religion with ancient beliefs. That's what I like about this film. It, it's it's a real window into 
how strong that continue, that endures, that uh, that history endures up until 2020. The attention to lighting is impeccable in the film. The way Emilio plays with mm. the shadows, the darkness and the candlelight is just so beautiful. What does that element of lighting awaken in the story? Well, the sets were terrifying. The play of light is, you know, if you walk into a room like the, the last room in the film, which is... Uh, it's candlelit, and it creates a, a very, very frightening way of of lighting these iconic statues and um, various kinds of religious artifacts that are in there. And uh, so, as you pass by them and you pass through them, it can't help but bring them into your consciousness. So, you know, although you're, you're working on a lot of other things at the same time, pacing and rhythm and remembering your lines and making contact with the actor that you're working with, the visual aspects of the film it can't help but, but heighten whatever the scene is about. And, uh, I think that Emilio is, uh, a master at the visual. And that's why the film looks the way it does. He has a lot of confidence in himself in that way. The story also maintains a constant mystique and you really have no idea what is going to happen next or the true nature of any of these characters. It's this mystery that's ongoing through the whole thing that keeps you glued to the mm. adventure that they're taking part in. It makes it so much fun. What did you love about the way it was written? Did you obviously notice that from reading the script and everything? And, and how do you feel like you accomplished that? I'm a character and relationship guy. Obviously, from anyone's point of view, the plot is important. But I think what makes you care about the people that are in the film is the way that character and relationship, the, 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 the details of the character, how they live their lives, how much the viewer can relate to that character. And then, of course, how is that expressed in their relationship with the other artists that are in the film. That's what I look for. When I read a, a script, the plot will carry you along. You know, whatever's going to happen in that plot, it's like following a map. And uh, you follow or, or a path or a trail or whatever. You, it's going to, if you, as long as you follow the trail, you're going, to, you're going to end up at the end of the trail. But what actors have to bring to a story is the humanity of the people that you play. That's what actors do. And uh, so I thought there was an opportunity there. Uh, having been raised a Roman Catholic myself, you know, having been around a lot of the dogma of Roman Catholicism and around a lot of nuns, a lot of priests. I was fascinated by the elements of the film. And as far as the writing went, I was excited to get inside this character and to uh, help develop Basilio's relationships with um, the other characters and be able to flush those out 
moment to moment on screen. And uh, I was uh, gratified that I was working with, for example, um, uh, Joaquin Cosillo in who plays River in the film. In that last scene uh, in the film, how involved they were with each other. And uh, so I thought that played out well. And uh, so that's kind of the long answer to you. What do I look for when I read a script? Uh, any script is going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. For me, it's all about the texture. It's about the relationships between the characters. And I ask myself, do I care about these characters? When it comes to the production design and sets that we were talking about earlier and the symbols and black magic sigils and things and everything's so elaborate, filled with antiques and candles and all of these things. And there's a few incredibly specific set pieces where we're talking the airplane graveyard or the church of children and all these wonderful things. I love the airplane. Yeah, I was going to ask you about like your your favorite, your favorite set, your favorite set to film in. I think the airplane is probably it's probably one of my favorite sets ever. Wow. Uh, and, and, and Emilio said, we're going to go. I, I said, all right, so what, 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 where are we going to shoot? What, where, where this thing? And I, I didn't know until I got down to Mexico that we were going to go, that there's this airplane, like this 727, that's parked right where it landed in the middle of a, de- of a desert. And, you know, that's where we shot that scene. And I was, I, I was like, Wow. You know, uh, you don't have to, because to have to create that, I mean, it was a real thing. And we shot the entire thing in, in that airplane that had been abandoned in the middle of the desert. It was, it was pretty exciting. Did yeah. anything creepy happen on the set that wasn't intentional? I can remember a scene. Liam Villa, who plays the character's name is Issa. And Liam was a, a charming, terrific five or six year old, amazing little guy who was a delight to be around. And I was sitting next to him, and we were shooting a scene. And most of the time, Liam was quite um, effervescent and up. And I looked at him and he was distraught. The tears were running down his face. He was, he was so, and it was perfect for the scene. And uh, Emilio kept running, kept running the camera and he would stop. And then we would run it again. And Liam was, was, was surprised. It just surprised me because it was, it was a different side of him and the tears were running down his face and his shoulders were shaking and and we were doing the dialogue of the scene and he was doing his best to get through the dialogue and we got the scene i found out afterwards that he was upset but he was upset about something that had nothing to do with the scene something to do with um, something that was going on in his in his life and as it, turned, as it turned out, it was perfect for the scene. So that was uh, something that was not planned that just took over. And uh, so that, it's, it's a gift 
you know, it's, it's a surprise. It's a surprise. It's a, a happy accident, you know, and, uh, and we were obviously concerned, but you know, he was fine. You know, within an hour, he was, once we had finished the scene and everything, he was back, uh, uh, dancing around. So kids, kids recover quickly from, from, you know, a broken toy or the loss of something. I forget what it was. Uh, at one point I knew I, I, what, what was on his mind, but, uh, I don't remember what it was now. The horror genre is very unique in that there is a, a fan base that likes to celebrate its films and culture through conventions and experiences. I know you've been part of many of those and even from doing like the saw mazes at Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights and seeing certain films becomes a rite of passage for the collective of horror fans. Yet you don't really see like a comedy convention or an experience with the actors from The Notebook, for instance, or something like what is it that has created this? relationship between the films of the horror genre and its audience the dedication of the fans uh i can't attribute it to the product i attribute it to the difference between what happens in a horror film and what happens in a rom-com is that or in a period piece or in a historical drama is that one is tends to be more traditional kinds of genres, the ones that are more honored and respected are um, historical drama, period pieces, etc., are intellectual endeavors sometimes, or emotional uh, experiences sometimes. Horror is visceral. It takes over, it grabs you, it's physical. You find yourself gripping the side of your seat. There's something about horror that gives you, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why Saw was as successful as it was, because not only did it terrify you and give you that visceral experience, but I think we were able to layer the films with concepts and meanings and things that, that people that gave people a, a chance to, to think and to question and uh, concepts like appreciating your own life, you know, that we all struggle with every day. So we were able to layer those films. So you were having this visceral experience, but you were also enjoying the, you know, the visceral coming from the uh, twists and the scares and the, the, the traps and the various things that are in the film that are traditionally what horror films were built on for all the years. They, they've been the weak horror has been the weak sister of, of filmmaking, uh, you know, as far as respect goes for many years when it comes to Academy Awards and that sort of thing. But you can do as much in a horror film as you can do in any other film it all comes down to the writing. And so I think that's what, you know, what we were able to do and saw is add that extra layer in there that makes people think. And um, as far as fan, I'm telling you, it, it comes from the fans. Fans, before there have been any of these films, recent films, the, the fan base, it's like it's part of their lives. 
It's not just, oh, let's go to the movie on Friday night. It's part of their lives. And if you go in their house, it'll be all over the walls. It'll be all over the shelves. And that is a, you can call it a hobby. You can call it a pastime, a passion, an obsession, whatever you want to call it. But it comes from the fans and their love and belief in the genre. So I've, I've, having no experience in horror before I had done Saw, I'd been educated and blown away by uh, the dedication of horror fans. Very well said, Tobin. That is amazing. You are a treasure, man. We really appreciate this. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to talk and, and talk about Beelzebuth, and I hope that those same fans like that film. It was a pleasure, guys. I'm happy to talk. Thanks for your thoughtful questions. Oh, we appreciate that. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Over and out. And that was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 142. Special thanks to our guest, Tobin Bell. Follow at Tobin Bell Official on Instagram and at Official Tobin on Twitter. And check out Beelzebub, the time of release, on-demand, digital, and brand new on DVD and Blu-ray. If you like this episode, check out episode 10 with the real-life exorcist, R.H. Savitz. Episode 42 with Darren Lynn Bowsman and episode 116 with Robert England. He's so awesome. <laughs> Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shands, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.